Hey, let's go ahead and uh, pray together as we start our time in God's Word right now. God, we come to you, and we pray that you would help. Uh, we've, we've got a lot of things that can easily distract us right now uh, with, with being at home, or maybe we're listening to this in the car right now. I don't know, uh, but there's a lot of things and a lot of things going on that can uh, vie for our attention. And so, God, I pray that you would help us just to, to be so focused and attentive to your Word and what you have to say to us right now, that we would come eager to learn with an expectation of, of something that we need to take away and some action step for us. And so, God, I pray that we would be so focused that everything else just fades into the background. Um, and I pray we would be so focused on you that we, we no matter what I may say, uh, from your word, we come away encouraged and something that we can learn and take with us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hopefully you have your Bibles or your phone nearby. Go ahead and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. We're in this series, Rebuild and Revive. And last week, Pastor Kivik kind of made the transition going from uh, rebuilding a place to really the beginning of what we're seeing as God reviving a people. And so we saw the walls were built and the people began coming into the city. And that's kind of where we're picking up here. And what he mentioned last week was about really the people worshiping. Uh, Charles Slimmings put it this way. He said, in the second half of the book of Nehemiah, we are turning from work and war to worship. And so as we kind of make this transition, hopefully that helps a picture in your mind as we work through rebuilding a place and reviving a people and what God wants to do here with the people. So in Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So this group is gathered together within the walls now. They're in here. They're to gather as one. And I want you to think about what a, what a large number of people this would have been, okay? This is about thirty to 50,000 people, we estimate. And uh, they're in here. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a group that large. If you've been at a sporting event or uh, something like that, or maybe it's even a conference. Uh, I know I've had the opportunity to go to a couple Christian conferences where there are about, you know, tens of thousands of people together, and they're there for the same purpose. And when you're there with a group of people that large that are kind of unanimous in your purpose for being there. There's something powerful about it. There's something that's moving. There's an energy. There's an excitement. There's an anticipation here. And especially as believers, as we come to God's Word and we're worshiping God and we're expecting to receive something from His Word, there's even more so, there's, a, there's more of a buildup here. And so these people are coming together and they're unanimous in what they desire. And after building this wall, which really is now a, a strength, right? It's protection for them now. What they desire is for Ezra to come and teach them the law of God. And that's, that's crazy to think about. That's, that's neat to think about that this whole group wants that. And one of the things we have to keep in mind here is that, remember, Ezra at one time tried rebuilding the wall. Several weeks ago, Pastor Kivett was talking about the law of the Medes and the Persians and how, how it was virtually impossible to overturn those laws. And so, so here, they've made a law that really inhibited Ezra from building the wall. And so even back when we talked about Nehemiah praying an impossible prayer, that's what made it so impossible. That's what made it so um, unimaginable because of this law that was in place. 
And so now we see Ezra, and Ezra had come to these people before Nehemiah was even on the scene. He was called as a prophet, we see back in Ezra chapter 7, and we see that it talks about him, and uh, it talks about how he was called to teach them the law of Moses. That was his job as the scribe. And so he comes to this people, and we can see through the book of Ezra that he teaches them and that the people are in sin, they're, they're evil, they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And then we begin to see a change, slowly but surely. We begin to see how they begin to repent and how they begin to turn to God and turn from their sin. But now, fast forward to where we're at now and think of Ezra from where he started with these people to now these people are calling on him to come and speak to them and teach them. How powerful does that have to be? Where you start out going to these people and trying to teach them and they want nothing to do with you and now, years later, they're, they're calling you back. They, they desire you. And so, listen, just, a, just take a moment here and there may be a, a parent or you may be a leader or you may be an employer or there may be some way that you're leading and God has you in a place for a purpose and it just feels like nothing's getting done. I'm sure Ezra was there. And we see the people here now calling for him. And so God has a purpose. Don't give up on that. If God's called you to that, he has you there for a purpose. And even though we may not see the results or we may not see the results we want, we stay faithful in that. So we see that with Ezra as he stayed faithful. Now the people are calling him back to to teach them. And so we continue reading in verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. Something to kind of remember here, too, is they only had the law. They didn't have the entire Bible like we do. They only had part of it at this time. Something that stood out was how eager they were to read this part, and many times the part that they had was maybe what we would think of as more of a We'd hate to say it, but if you're doing a Bible reading plan and you're going through this part of the Bible, you would say, you just got to kind of get through it. We can often refer to it as the boring part of the Bible. It's difficult to read, and, but yet these people here are longing for it. They're desiring it. They're longing for Ezra to teach them this. And so as I think of this, I think, man, how do we come to the Word of God? Do we come prepared? Do we come eager to learn whenever the Bible is open? doesn't matter what passage it is or where we're reading, we come with the expectation and anticipation that there's something more for me to learn. There's something I can take away from this. There's something God can teach me here. There's something that God's revealing about himself, and that is why it's important to me. Man, that's convicting to me as I see that, because I think we can often get into a groove or go to the parts that we want to read or listen to those we want to listen to, And these people are asking Ezra, read. They just want to learn from God's word. In verse 3, and he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So this is essentially about six hours about six hours that Ezra is reading from this part of Scripture, and the people are there, and they're listening. Again, thirty to 50,000 people for six hours. Can you imagine that? And it says they were attentive. 
Again, how do we come to God's Word? How do we approach times when we have the opportunity to learn from God's Word, whether it's us reading the Bible for ourselves, uh, coming to a service at a church, uh, hearing from someone else who's teaching God's Word, or just somebody else sharing what they've, ta- what they've learned from God's Word? How do we approach that? Are we always eager to learn from God's Word? But then even more so, attentive. They're listening attentive. How do we listen whenever we're reading God's Word or someone else is teaching God's Word? I think of this especially uh, during this time. We've probably had a lot of uh, Zoom calls, um, a lot of stuff going on. But even before this, I'm thinking of in the business world, if, if you've got a, a conference call or uh, maybe it's some meeting about systems and processes and something that's essential, that's needed, but maybe boring, and it's like an hour-long seminar, and you've got to listen to this. You're going to approach that a different way than you approach an hour-long seminar or whatever you want to watch. If there's something you're eager to learn from, if there's a seminar about how you can help your finances or how to grow your relationships, okay, you're going to approach those things in two different ways. The one you don't really want to be a part of, the one you're probably going to be easily distracted. In fact, you may even try to have a second screen open so you can be multitasking while that's going on. It's just a checkbox. It's something you have to do. But on the one hand, it's going to be something that you want to listen to, and so you're going to be attentive. Not that there won't be distractions, but you are not going to allow it to distract you. That's the difference. It's something that you're probably even going to be taking notes. You're going to be trying to remember. And so as I think of this, how do we listen to God's Word when it's being read or when we're reading it? Do we listen in a way of, I'm just here because it's Sunday and i got to be here. I'm just here because I read God's Word every day and it's what I do. Or is it I'm listening attentively in order to take something away from this. I believe there's something profitable. I believe there's something more I need to learn. I don't know it all, and I want to learn more. How do we approach that in our own lives? Verse 4, And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood six men on his right hand, and then seven men on his left hand. As I was reading this, it's, it's very clear that they built this wooden platform just for this purpose. And so think about what's going on here. These people are gathering, a large group, and so they, they ask Ezra to teach them the law, and they see the need of, hey, not everybody can see you, so what do we do? And there were some guys who decided, we're going to build this right now, and we're going to build this platform, and we're going to do this. And I think of that for us, and I think, man, if we came together next week, and we had 10,000 people show up for a service, and we had to just scramble and try to get things ready, we know those key people who would go and build a stage for us, and who we would trust to build a stage for us, um, but they could get it done. Think about the time that they put into this, the resources They gave of themselves. Not only are they asking Ezra to come and teach them, but they're willing to put their own skin in the game here to make it possible. Possible for him to stand up and preach and everybody to be able to see him and everybody to be able to hear him and everybody to be able to learn from this time together. And so think about that. Again, their attentiveness, their eagerness to learn from God's word and what they're willing to do to make it possible. Not just to listen, but to do something to make it possible. It says in verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people 
stood. Now, here's where I kind of want to walk through about five points, okay? Through these next several verses, I want to look at these five things. And what we see are five different responses that the people had to the reading, interpretation, and understanding of God's Word. There's five responses that we see in the people here as they listen to the reading, the interpretation, and ultimately the understanding of God's Word. Here we see them stand, and this is, number one, a physical response. All the people stood here. There's something about a physical response that is a step of faith in this instance. As Ezra begins to read, before he even reads, the people stand up. It's like they're saying, God, we are ready. We're ready to take action. We're ready to take this step of faith in standing because we are expecting something from your word. We're expecting to learn. We're wanting to learn. We're listening. We're eager here. How do we do this in our own lives? Well, one thing I thought of is, yes, we often stand to read God's word, but also one of the things for me I thought of was... um, Something I learned years ago was have a pen and paper ready whenever God's Word is open. Whenever God's Word is open, have a pen and paper ready to learn, essentially. And so whenever God's Word is open, if I'm reading it on my own or if if I'm listening to someone else teach, uh, I have a pen and paper there because I know I'm going to learn something, even if I just write one thing down. In fact, I can think of one instance uh, where I was listening to somebody and I thought, all right, they're just going to give a short devotional. And so I've got my pen and paper, but I'm just going to leave it right here. I'm not going to mess with it because it's just going to be a short devotional. And I just felt this sense of, man, how prideful is that? How arrogant is that? As you come to God's word that you would say, eh, there's nothing I'm going to learn here. And so I picked it up and opened it up. And sure enough, by the end of that short devotion, uh, I had about two pages of notes. And so God's word, as we know, does not return void. It's here for a purpose, to fulfill that purpose. Just as the rain comes down and waters the earth, it has a purpose for us. And so how do we, how do we prepare ourselves to listen to God, to what he has to share with us? And so here the people had that physical response. I think of even next week as we come back with uh, some of the people here Whenever we get back together and we read God's word and Pastor Kivett invites us all to stand, how sweet it would be for us all in our minds to think, as I stand, I am preparing to learn from God's word. As I stand, I'm acknowledging that I don't know everything about God's word and there's something more I need to learn here. What a unifying um, response that is. And it opens us up, it humbles us to whatever God wants to teach us. So number one, there was a physical response. In the next verse, verse 6, we see, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, amen, lifting up their hands. We're going to stop right there. We see the second response here. It's a verbal response. Number two, it's it's a verbal response that they have to the reading, the interpretation, and the understanding of God's word. Ezra is praying to God. He's recognizing how great he is. He's blessing him, and the people say, amen, amen. Listen, there are times where, where we need to declare with our mouths how great God is, where we need to respond verbally to what God's word is revealing to us. I think back to uh, Chris Gaynor. He was here several years ago with 
uh, homecoming, and he was sharing with us about prayer and walking through the ACTS acronym, uh, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And something he said about adoration was, your heart needs to hear your mouth declare the greatness of your God. Your heart needs to hear your mouth declare the greatness of your God. And so as you respond verbally, it's not just a, a reaction, it's, it's more than that. It's speaking truth over yourself so that your heart hears it, so that it is a response, not just of your mouth, but of your whole, your whole heart. There's something powerful about that, and we see them responding here verbally as Ezra blesses the Lord. And then it says they lift up their hands and keep reading in verse 6, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now, lifting up your hands, bowing your heads, and worshiping with their face to the ground, I'm going to say, number three, that's a spiritual response. Yes, it's a, it's a physical response, but here, just follow me for a second, okay? They're lifting up their hands, they're bowing their heads, they're lowering their faces, and ultimately what they're showing is, I'm surrendered. God, everything I have is yours. I recognize I have nothing that you haven't graciously given me. And I'm holding nothing back. Whatever it is you want, I'm yours. Whatever it is you want that I have, I know it's ultimately yours too. And so here it is, whatever it is, take it. I'm surrendered. I'm holding nothing back. But then also they're lowering themselves to a place of humility, even to a place of vulnerability, where they're lowering their face. Their guard is down. You can't protect yourself when your head is bowed and your, your face is to the ground. You're in a very vulnerable position at that point. And so what they're showing is, God, we trust you. We're giving you full control and we're trusting you. And so I like to think of this as an, it's an outward picture of an inward posture. It's an outward picture of an inward posture. When we put ourselves in these physical positions where we, we surrender to God and we respond physically, it ultimately reveals the posture of our hearts. And so number three, a spiritual response. As we keep reading in verse 7, it has a list of more names there, and then it finishes off in verse 7. It says, And the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So as Ezra's reading the law, he's helping them understand it as well. He's helping it to become clear to them. He's helping them interpret it. And then these people are also going around and really ministering to the people, serving them by, by helping them understand what's, what's being read here. And so I think of that, and I, I, just, I just see, do we really desire to understand as we come to God's Word? Do we desire to have that understanding? Or are we okay just to listen are we okay just to read without really understanding and interpreting it for ourselves? One of the things with having the Holy Spirit indwell us as believers now is, is that we can interpret this for ourselves. We can, we can understand God's Word for ourselves. We don't have to have anyone else to go as an intercessor between us and God. We have Jesus in our place there 
intercessing for us. And so we're able to understand and interpret the scriptures and we pray to God and we're able to have this understanding on our own. And man, but do we desire to? Or are we okay with just checking the box? I read this passage today. I went to church and I listened to this scripture and that's it. Are we eager to understand? But also, look, they've got people there helping them understand. Do you have anybody around you who, who you can go to, to to even help understand? If you have questions, if you have concerns, there should be your friends around you that you're able to go to and talk to them. Listen, I read this today and I need some help. Help me interpret this. Yeah, you can come to the pastors, you can come to whoever, but having those friends where you're growing together in God's word and challenging each other, helping each other. And then who are you helping? Who are you helping to interpret and understand even? There's something powerful there about that eagerness to understand God's word and not just listen to it. Verse 9, it says, And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Number four is an emotional response. We have a physical response, a verbal response, a spiritual response, and here we see an emotional response. The people are grieving, they're weeping. Why? Because they have an understanding of what's being read. They're so convicted, they're so, they're so uh, turned for, for their own sin that they've committed against a holy and righteous God, but also the sins of their forefathers, the sins of the generations ahead of them, the sins of the people, the nation. They're broken, and it's brought them to this place of weeping and, and grieving so that they have to tell them, listen, don't grieve. I just, wanna, I just want us to think about this. When, as God reveals himself to us through his scripture, does it ever draw a response from our emotions? Our, our emotions should never drive our worship, but our emotions should be engaged in our worship. There should be a point at which we understand the great love that our God has shown to us. There should be a point where we come like them and we understand the depth of our sin, the depth of our depravity, that we, we are in a broken relationship with a loving God that though we're his enemies, he sent Christ to, to live and die and rise again for us so that we can have a right relationship with him. That should, that should draw a response from our emotions at some point. Here, the people together are, again, they're, in, uh, they're together in unity with their response of, of grieving and weeping over this. And that's what the truth of, of God's word should do at some point to us. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going in verse 10. It says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved again, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. As we understand and we read and interpret and understand God's word, there should be a point that it brings us to grieving. There should be a point that we are broken for our sins, 
and ultimately for the sins of the people around us. During this time especially that we are in, we know the sins of, our, of people around us, people before us, generations ahead of us, they're evident right now. We should be broken and weeping over those sins. But God, rich in mercy, full of love, he didn't leave us there. As we understand God's word, we also understand that God has a plan of redemption for us. He didn't leave us on our own. We should grieve, but also we should find our joy in the Lord, and that should be our strength. Think about this. Joy is not the same as happiness. There's a difference you know. I listened to a pastor earlier, and uh, he was talking about uh, children and the way that their emotions just go up and down in a split second. And uh, I, I agree with that. I can, I can see that in my own kids and so quickly. My kids can be asking and be so sweet, Dad, can we get ice cream? And as soon as I say no, suddenly the switch flips, right? Joy is something that is not based on our circumstances, though. Joy is based on something more. It's more constant. What is our joy based on? It's, it's a more firm foundation than happiness. It's something that should stay constant through whatever is going on or whatever anyone else thinks or whatever anyone else does or whatever it is. And then it says this, the joy of the Lord is, our, is your strength. That word strength there means a stronghold, a refuge, a rock, Again, that firm foundation, so our joy, firm and steady. The joy of the Lord should be our strength, our constant, our steady. Think of that. How often do we allow our circumstances to really um, define our theology and what we believe about God? God, do you really love me? Because if so, then why is this happening? What is going on here? As we find our joy in the Lord... We find that strength. We find that refuge and steadiness because he is steady. He is unchangeable. He is eternal. He's infinite, but he's always the same. And so we have that rock to go back to. What's our joy found on? Is it on our relationships? Because we know those can change. Is it on our finances? Because especially as we're finding out right now, that can quickly change. Is it on our success, our popularity? All that stuff fades. What is our joy based on? The joy of the Lord is your strength. When you're so broken over your sin and in despair, that's when you can find the joy in the Lord because of what he has done for us. It keeps reading. It says, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Sometimes we need to hear something several times before it sinks in. In verse 12, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Number five is an obedient response. We see the people have a physical response, a verbal response, a spiritual response, an emotional response, but finally we see an obedient response. They tell them don't grieve, but rejoice. But they also tell them, listen, during this time around this feast, go and share what you have with those that don't have anything ready those that don't deserve anything, those who don't have anything, go and, and help them. Why? Because God has given to you. 
you give to others in the same way that God's given to you. And you show them the love that God's shown you. And so they go and they do that, and ultimately they go rejoicing. They found their joy in the strength of the Lord, and they, they found that not in their circumstances or in the depths of their sin. Listen, how are we leaving our time with God? How are we responding in obedience when God reveals himself to us? As God reveals himself through his word, there are times that there should be a physical response, a verbal response, a spiritual response, definitely, an emotional response, and always an obedient response. We have to humble ourselves and be willing and eager and attentive to the, to the reading, the interpreting, and the understanding of God's word. And yes, it'll bring us to a point of, of grieving and weeping. But ultimately, that's in order to see that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Hey, let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can constantly come back to your word and always learn something if we are eager to, if we're humble enough to. God, I thank you for how we see the people respond here. They're responding in worship as, as they see you revealed. And so, God, I pray as we come to your word often and regularly and we see you reveal, God, would you help us to respond accordingly? God, forgive us for when we make it about us and when we make it a checklist and when we don't come eager, when we're not attentive, when we're easily distracted. God, bring us to a point where we are uh, grieving over our sins, but also ultimately bring us to that point where we see the joy of the Lord is our strength. God, we thank you for what you've done and what you've supplied for us and that in our relationship with you, we have eternal life. We have a hope and a future. God, we thank you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.